Hello, everyone. My name is Jimena Dusan Aya Pearson, and you are listening to Root Stories of the Soul, Soulful Talks with Jimena. Now, for decades, I have had a big interest and passion for stories of our roots, our ancestors, our genius loci or spirit of place, and how all these are interwoven through our souls, and or like James Hillman says, soul making. Now, for the past few years, I have been studying uh, archetypal and Jungian studies uh, with an emphasis in depth psychology. And each week, I will be bringing to you stories from people around the world about what makes the soul a place and what gives a place its soul. And we will be exploring different elements about the uh, about the places that we uh, came from and the places that we live in. So this is really a space for people um, where they can tell their stories about their origins, about their ancestors, about their um, place they call home, and also how we can all invite the soul of the world back into our lives. I cannot wait. I am so excited to bring you so much more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 12 of Root Stories of the Soul, Soulful Talks with Jimena. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about um, a story waiting to flourish. And my guest today um, is a good friend of mine, uh, someone who I met in graduate school. His name is Bradley Dennis McDevitt. He's a theater artist and depth psychology scholar. He's currently serving as an adjunct faculty member at Pacifica Graduate Institute. He is the founder of Carolina Commons Creative, a creative business consulting firm that produces the Theater of Self program, uniquely combining actor training techniques with neuroscience and depth psychology to enhance metacognition and somatic and emotional intelligence aiding improved performance and making and meaning making. Bradley is also an ICF accredited development coach dedicated to fostering personal and professional growth, especially for young people. He lives in Chapel Hill, North Carolina with his wife and two daughters. So Bradley, so good to have you here. Hi, I know we've enough. had kind of, um, you know, technical difficulties in getting here today. Yes. But, but we finally made it. So uh, welcome. Thank um, you. Thank you. For so, so, so first of all, how, how have you been? I know, you know, it's been a, it's been a minute since we both graduated. Um, and I know I just kind of read your bio, but, you know, why don't you share with our listeners what you've been up to kind of lately? Sure. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me here. It has been an interesting road, especially since uh, finishing Pacifica as a student. Uh, interestingly, uh, Pacifica is now a place, like you said, that I work uh, as an adjunct professor. And that was very serendipitous. I, it was not something that I planned. It kind of fell into my lap. And so that has changed a lot just in the last year for me just uh -huh. uh, in terms of how I think about myself and my scholarship and my career. So 
it was interesting. The last residential of uh, my last quarter at Pacifica, an alumni, um, Kim Kranz, who you know, I think. Yes. Uh, gave a, a talk, a lecture there our first night. <clears throat> and I was enthralled. It was a wonderful talk. And about halfway through, I said, that's my new goal. I'm going in the next three years, I'm going to get invited back here to, to lecture. And three weeks later, I got an email from the chair of the program asking if I would consider uh, adjunct professorship. And so three weeks is a little different than three years. But yeah, that was a, 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 real, a real boon from my experience at Pacifica. So having said that, do you think you kind of manifested that or like, you know, the, the whole topic that we're talking about today is a story waiting to flourish, you know, mm -hmm. what what does that mean to you? Like, what does the word flourish mean in the sense of uh, a personal story and also professionally mm -hmm. speaking? Well, it's funny because there's multiple definitions. And the first thing that comes to my mind, of course, as an actor, as a dancer is the, the pizzazz you put at the end of a movement, the flourish, right? The 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 stuff that uh, makes it stand out, that makes it virtuosic, as well as fecundity and uh, verdancy and growth, like all of those things are implied. And absolutely, I, I believe very firmly in the idea of, or some version of manifesting. And one thing that's interesting to me about my experience at Pacifica and that experience from that story I just told is that I went to Pacifica with a very, with the framework of a story I wanted to tell. Okay. About myself, about my theater work that I spent 30 years doing about mm -hmm. what it, what was going to happen. And so you know, the way I think about it was I, I created a frame through which I would view my experiences at Pacifica and also kind of a frame of, of a question. Yeah. So rather than the narrative being framed around an outcome, I want this to happen. It's a question. What is, what is going to happen? Uh -huh. And that receptive space, I think it makes it very easy to see what fits in the frame and what doesn't. At okay. least for me, that was my experience. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and have you found in, in that, experience that there's certain that that we have kind of what frames us like we have strengths right you know mm -hmm. and but but yet we also have these you know areas of weaknesses you know that yes. we also have to develop um i know for myself when i was at pacifica the creative aspect especially theater was something very new to me you know mm, yeah and 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 it and it took me a while, I think, to find my own narrative and to find that own version of 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 that, you know, again, going back to flourishing. Mm -hmm. So so for you, you know, being in acting and theater, wh where did that love come from? And 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 are there any weaknesses that you find that you're still kind of working at? Oh, that's a huge question, Jimena. <laughs> Well, let's yes. start with the, that. The with short that. answer is uh, many, many weaknesses that I'm working at. I I was really fortunate to grow up in a household that that saw my 
my gifts early my my gifts for drama <laughs> for uh it's ironic i'm a very introverted person but i'm very outgoing and and have always been artistic and creative um i think the earliest form of mimicry i displayed i was able to to mimic other kids voices so well that their moms couldn't un tell the difference uh -huh. from around the corner so when i was about five my parents took me to see a japanese bunraku puppetry show okay which i don't know if you're familiar with japanese bunraku not no it's, not so much it's what is uh, that 18th century Japanese form. The puppets are about half life size. So if you were standing up, they'd come up to you about your, your waist. Okay. And they, it derives the characters and the movements, all that stuff derives from Kabuki, but it was a way to take Kabuki into rural places, villages into royal. Mm -hmm. Like it was a real, it was considered kind of a big flex to, to have a Kabuki show at your castle. And Kabuki is performed. I mean, the, um, Bunraku rather is performed with three puppeteers. There's a head puppeteer who literally controls the head and the right arm, and you can see his his face. Okay. He's been doing this forever, and that's kind of the the uh, he gets to show his face, whereas the other two puppeteers are completely ninjaed out, full hood, no eye slits, just. In fact, the Japanese word for it, and I can't remember, translates roughly to no man, like it's uh -huh. you disappear. That's the goal. And the other, those two control the left hand, and then one controls both feet. And so you graduate through each of those. And I remember going to this show with them, and we'd seen lots of different theater. And I, of course, saw the, the head puppeteer, and I was enthralled, and the puppets were beautiful and evocative and really well controlled. And I remember precisely the moment that I saw, because I hadn't until this moment, the other two puppeteers who had until this moment for me completely disappeared. Mm -hmm. And my head exploded that that was in front of me clearly the entire time. And I did not see it. I mean, I was as close to the show as I was to this computer. So it was not like this is, you know, way yeah. back in the theater. Yeah, was, you were really like, in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, uh, I tell the story because it was the first, I mean, I'd seen lots of theater and dance and stuff like that, but it was the first time that I really felt the power of presence uh, and what theater affords with uh, like a control, an ability to control one's presence, huh. uh, the ability to be seen or not seen, the just the, the artifice, the beauty, the, all of that, it really kind of boiled down to that one moment and really just cemented in my mind. So from that moment, I've, I was involved in drama and theater and dance pretty much my entire life, but it really wasn't until I <clears throat> decided to go to college that I said, this is what I want to do for a living. Wow. Uh, which actually came out of a, a life-threatening illness. I had a burst appendix when I was 20, almost a month before my 21st birthday and was about 12 hours from death. <clears throat> I, I was on the operating table for about five hours. They hosed me out. My appendix had, had, had ruptured. Mm -hmm. um, and so in the convalescence, I 
I kind of came, I had this realization that what I really wanted to do was travel the world, do physical theater, uh, work with kids and create original work. So like I was telling you before with Pacifica about the frame, for me, that was my frame. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had waited a few years after high school. So I went to college. I ended up going to the Evergreen State College with the very specific goal. I'm going to create or join a physical theater company that travels the world, works with kids, and creates original work, right? Yeah. And my third year there, there was a theater company that came in residence that did physical theater, that traveled the world, did original work, and worked with kids. Wow. And <clears throat> I took their workshop. Uh, I arranged to have a internship with them the next summer and for the next 10 years, that was my company and I worked with them and I traveled the world and I worked with kids. I became the educational program director of the company. Uh, I went as far as Hong Kong and Romania and Amsterdam and yeah, it was, it was amazing. So there's two examples, both with Pacifica and with, yeah. with my experience there with the, the name of the company is the UMO Ensemble. They still exist. They're on Vashon Island in Washington. Okay. Is, is it's not necessarily about manifesting. It's about recognizing the opportunities when they come. Yeah. And for me, that's about knowing what story you're living in, what story you want to be true to so that when the narratives arise, because we always have options, yes. which narrative, which narrative suits, suits the story and which narrative suits who I, who I want to be, who I think I am and who, who I want to become. Yeah. I mean, you know, often we we deviate from from our paths, you know, or or we kind of maybe maybe fear kicks in, or maybe lack of trust in oneself, you know, yeah. and and we kind of abandon, you know, abandon that, you know, um, and I and just kind of tucking in Jungian terms, you know, we often when we deviate, you know, we'll find the shadows. You know, we'll find what, mm -hmm. you know, areas in which we don't want to be. Um, so can you tell me something, you know, that you've done as a founder of Carolina Commons Creative? I think you mentioned this program or, or uh, the theater of self, mm -hmm. you know, how, how, how is it that you're, that now you're applying that to businesses or you know um clients mm -hmm. how are you so, helping people i guess make that realization of you know of living your true story or, or your the story of self i guess yeah yeah for me it it comes down to and and that's a big part of what i was trying to determine at pacifica was was and really where i came up in fact uh, with the name of the program was what are the parts of, of my theater training that felt most important uh -huh. to me, but also that I could turn to be of service to others, not just other actors. Cause I felt like actors have a, a real privilege in, in, career and livelihood in that they are paid professional beers and doers. Like, huh. what does it mean to be alive? It means to be and do, right? That's the, sort of the duality of what it is, our, our humanness. Actors do that for a living. <laughs> and they yeah. inhabit other characters, they inhabit other stories, they 
Um, but to do that honestly and faithfully, you need to be a student of human nature. You need to be a student of, of, of the planet, of weather, of natural systems, of biology, of physics. You need to know the world intimately so yeah. that you can jump into, you know, if I'm playing a geologist, I need to know about geology. I need to be able to give the impression that I know I've known about geology my whole life. Yeah. So it behooves an actor to gather as much material as they can so that their entire life is lived in classroom, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That to me was the most important part of the actor training was how to live your life in such a way that you were participatory, active, always kind of absorbing, um, working with, collaborating, melding with, not just on stage and with fellow actors and with technicians and directors and designers, but with people, with the world, with the environment. So to me, you know, acting is wonderful. It's a joy to be on stage and to have those experiences. I think it plays an amazing and an important role in our culture, sadly, has been marginalized. We could talk yeah. about that later. But that's that's performance and that's that's its own thing and that's not to me the the biggest gift of of that work to me it's the what it affords you when you are training as an actor you are creating safe spaces in which to play yeah you are collaborating you're giving and taking you're learning like the big mantra for improvisation on stage is yes and you're always accepting what's given to you and you you offer so yeah. it's this constant collaborative open relationship to the world to being and to me that was the thing that i wanted to help people with and it started initially with young people because of just the the suffering that's out there right now for young people as a result of the information age and social media and all this that I wanted I wanted a way to help afford young people the things that I had when I was young which were okay. these tools that were given to me and how best to because I, I've taught so many different ages and kids and uh, adults and when they get into these classes when they're moving and when they're playing and they're they forget about everything else and you're able to really focus on what's important to you. You get a really clear sense of, of your inner landscape. You learn about what your body feels like in space. You, you access the present moment. Um, this is often a prelude to flow state mm -hmm. as well. So all of that seemed to kind of stack up as I looked at, wow, there's really something here. How, and then I have to also give a lot of credit to a couple of major influences and sources in my thinking around this. One is the work of Dr. Ian McGilchrist, who wrote The Master and His Emissary, and most recently a two-volume work called The Matter with Things. Okay. He's, he's looking at left and right hemisphere hypothesis. Absolutely incredible work. Groundbreaking, I think. Um, and then Dr. John Verveke, who's a cognitive scientist out of the University of Toronto, who has a, a really impressive, <clears throat> excuse me, 50-part uh, series on 
uh, he calls Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, which is an in-depth look at cognitive science, philosophy of uh, modernity as well, you know, going from ancient times to, to now, and looking specifically at, at, at how we make meaning and how we've lost the ability to make meaning because we no longer seek or have access to wisdom. Hmm. And by wisdom, he means not just traditions, not just knowledge. We have lots of information, um, but nobody passing the torch. No, and in particular, embodied wisdom practices, things like yoga, things like um, Pilates, things like dance, things like, you know, walking, some or Tai Chi, uh, parkour. So those two sources in particular were really important in a and just waking me up to the the possibilities with using theater and theater training techniques as a modality for helping people access more meaning, uh, somatic integration, and uh, a sense of uh, a real integrated sense of self. And, and I think when you know something that I learned at least when I was at Pacifica, the idea of self. You know, a, a lot of people may think of self as being you know selfish you know kind of right. as being um you're 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 in it on your own and you know it's it's this mentality you know mentality of um i don't know just not being aware of others you know and i think it's the opposite you know yeah I, they oftentimes people think of it as isolated or yeah. individual self yes right and, and I think, you know, what we learned that, you know, that Carl Jung referred to the self as, as not you and you alone, but it's self in a means of being in service of others and being, mm -hmm. you know, in community with others, you know, yeah. and, and I, and I think from what I'm hearing from you, you know, theater, it's a communal thing, you know, it's not an isolated work, you know, you have to be in service. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if it's a solo show, it's it's rehearsal if there's not an audience, right? Yes. Yeah. The, the performance, the, the being and doing is it, when you're in that relationship with a stage and an audience, then it has then it's reciprocal. There has to be there's a give and a take that happens as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And what I was thinking, Jimena, when you were talking about that is that the self. We're communal, but we also are. I think of IFS, internal family systems, and archetypal images in 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 the psyche that each of us is a community into in and of ourselves as well. Yeah, that the self is is almost like this hollowness that is constellated, and that when you are integrated, all of those constellations exist harmoniously or in some kind of dynamic healthy relationship so that the self now can move forward with all of its constituent pieces as opposed to one that's isolated and shoved away or uh one totally taking over and kind of lead running the show that kind of thing and and to me theater and actor training is particularly good at helping people identify especially through the body emotion emotional impulse and and how that has guided them and how they want it hmm. to guide them. And have you found those techniques 
uh, as a way of also grounding, you know, like grounding people to whether it's maybe grounding the, themselves in their stories, grounding them in their business or family relationships. Have you found that though, that that expands beyond the, the theater work that you do? Oh, absolutely. And and I should preface that by saying when I, a lot of people kind of get scared when I talk about actor training <laughs> techniques, but no, I don't, I rarely actually work with formal actors. Yeah. Right. So most of the people I'm working with are, are non-actors. I wish there was a better word for that. <laughs> people. Yeah. Um, but that, that process is 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 iterative and starts so small because it really revolves around ultimately being comfortable with being seen uh -huh. um because when you start to i mean think about experiences you may have had as a child when you're playing yeah you go on to a playground and any kid will do like, hey, you look nice. Hey, what about we, we play this game mm -hmm. and you're in it. The world has yeah. been created and you're you don't even think about being seen. You are authentic. You are real. You're showing up with all of your arrows pointed forward. Right. Just let's go. Yeah. And as we grow up, we learn to repress or to pull back and. Mm -hmm. So even the process of just integrating the body and with breath and uh, and just sound, humming, slight movement, mirroring other people and expanding our inter inner awareness and and sort of external awareness, what I call this kind of omnidirectional awareness simultaneously. Mm -hmm. That is often a very profound experience for people who who live pretty much neck up yeah whether they're working on computers or whatever the case may be we're not a an embodied culture by any means yeah we're, we're not yeah we're yeah. very far removed from our yeah. so so the grounding often happens kind of as a result of just real basic somatic integrative practice when you add to that this idea of what if what if i was to pretend to be taller more powerful my shoulders go back i'm going to be a regal king like that's uh -huh. we're pretending and uh -huh. everyone has agreed we're in a safe space and nobody's making fun of anybody and if there is any critique it's there to help you do move more towards the goal that you're looking for uh -huh. What do you notice in your body? What do you notice about your emotions? So that as that heightened inner awareness grows and the outer expression grows, it allows more space. It allows for uh, a, this is where the metacognitive aspect is. It allows for more space between the stimulus of life and the response that we want to give, right? Mm -hmm. And so those two things I think are, are really primary to the work it's it, yes grounding grounding in the body grounding in yeah breathing and being and then grounding and moving through this process of realizing that you have an expansive 
moment, which is available to us all, which is right now. And that's yeah. to me, the real gift of, of the theater work is that it brings you back to the only place where you can actually affect change, which is the present moment. Yeah. And, ha and has that, I mean, have in your experience and in your work, have you seen kind of these changes, you know, happen, you know, of, of people kind of taking your courses or taking your program and then, then coming back to, to you saying, mm -hmm. Hey, I've been able to apply some of these techniques to my, you know, day-to-day -day life. I, I had a really absolutely beautiful experience earlier this year is this spring and I was giving an in-person workshop and I had, I had uh, an octogenarian in the class. I had a pregnant, a pregnant woman and her husband. And then I had a mother and her, her trans daughter. And the daughter was, is actually just turned 16, I think fifth. So 15 at the time, very insecure, having a lot of identity and self um, crisis issues. Uh, I didn't know that at the time they came just to, to try the workshop together to see what would happen. We did the workshop, lots of play, lots of laughter, levity, also a lot of exploration. There's also creative writing happens. Oftentimes we do automatic writing. There's some responses to music. It's about 90 minutes long. At the end of it, laughter, everyone playing, exchanging phone numbers, having a great time. I get an email later that night from the mom saying, I don't know how to say, <laughs> I don't know how to say thank you enough. I've never seen my child that happy in wow. since they were five or six. Wow. That's a moving story. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I get choked up thinking about it and I ended up working with the family and with, with, her um for the for the next summer and she was particularly interested in in gaining more confidence um going into a school and really into theater and uh especially fashion and costume design so we ended up working together for the whole summer and she's now driving which is terrifying and uh and having having a, a great time so that's a, a very, and that was a, you know, one 90 minute session. Mm -hmm. So here's a person who, who has very strong identity, real strong sense of, of who they are and who they want to be, but not feeling accepted. And just the process of stepping into allowing themselves to be seen and mm -hmm. allow and seeing others in such a, a safe space really, really kind of promoted so much confidence. It, and I, I mean, I've worked with a lot of teenagers before. I'd never seen or heard anything. You know, I've, I've had parents say, wow, you know, it's very clear you had an impact on, on our kids. They did great. You had a wonderful performance. I've directed lots of, of uh, high school shows that age. But this was the first time that I actually saw how it's made how it mental health impact yeah like yeah that. yeah so i mean I, I think you could say that you've kind of touched people's souls in a way you know Gosh, 
<laughs> I don't know if I would claim that. I would hope so. That's, you know, it's funny. I would definitely say that I, that was a goal in, in theater, right? Like when I'm performing, when I was performing with my company, I would, I would easily say we touched people's souls. That was the, <laughs> that's what beauty does. Yeah. Now, I mean, if we think of the word soul, you know, because I, I, again, even my podcast alone is about root stories of the soul, you know, mm -hmm. even, even psychologists, like, you know, the ones we studied, you know, James Hillman, Carl Jung, um, you know, they talked about the idea of soul. They talked to, about it in the idea of also spirit, you know, in their kind of inner weaved. They've talked about soul as the concept of breath. You know, you touch on the idea of breath and how important that mm -hmm. is, you know, when you're working in theater and also the concept of anima and life, you know, life. Mm -hmm. I think soul for me is root stories of the soul is the really root stories of people's lives. You know, it's about someone's lives, you know, mm -hmm. so you mentioned in somewhere in your um, when I went on your website, you mentioned something about creativity being the window into the soul mm, yeah um and so if we're talking about cre creative practices theater is such a big creative practice what does that that what does that mean to you personally well i i take a very broad view of the definition of creativity to begin with that differs maybe a little bit from the norm i think in our culture we think of creativity as artistic that there's a conflation between aesthetic somehow generative aesthetic appreciation when i think creativity is 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 an emergent energy that satisfies something primal in us so the example I'll use is the fact that we can communicate with mm -hmm. coherent language and that we have this huge palette of, you know, anywhere between 50 and 100,000 words that we can pull it and put out as an expression mm -hmm. is, and you know, that's not my original thought, that's Noam Chomsky, um, that that's a expression of, of deep creative ability. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I like to just kind of pull back and think of rather than artists being special kind of people is that people are special kind of artists. And hmm. that everybody has this innate creativity that often comes out when they encounter the thing that they that touches their here's the stories of the soul, when it touches that deepest part of them. Yeah. No, yeah. it might be carpentry for somebody. It might be uh, physics. It might be theater. It might be, you know, um, writing, whatever it is. Once once that draws and I, I actually just interviewed uh, the creative coach and psychologist Eric Maisel. And, and he says it's it's about connecting to some formative experience you had when you were very young where you had an experience of, oh, something pulled at you, like the Bunraku did for me, right? That when you have that, and it might be more than one, it could be multiple, I certainly had multiple, that those experiences 
kind of create a path to your soul, create a path to that inner part of you, that most creative, most alive, most vivacious, most energetic, most connected part of you. And when you're able to reclaim that, or even build it, especially if you're able to do it from when you're young, when you have those experiences, I think that the path to that creative energy opens and opens wider and wider, making it easier to express. So part of, part of, for me, why creativity is the window into the soul is because when people are creatively expressive, they are expressing something absolutely one of a kind. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think and it comes from that expression it, is so beautiful. And I think it comes from some somewhere deep inside of us. You know, I think going oh, yes. back to the most, you know, again, going back to breath, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm big on, or I, I used to be, I, I kind of abandoned it a bit, but meditation, you know, and really tapping in into our um, fire breath. And, and I, and I think for me, when I, when I also, I think of creativity, I think it comes from that inner breath, you know, it, it, it kind of, like you said, energy, you know, it has mm-hmm. to do with what kind of moves us and animates us and just, um, I, so, I mean, I, and I think, I think the Greeks called it pneuma, right? Yeah. And, and then there's the whole thing of anima, you know, yeah. back to anima and what kind of animates, you know, and um, so, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I, I think what, what you're doing with your work, you know, it's interweaving all these, you know, techniques, you know, of, 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 of not, not just being aware of your breath, but being aware of your mind and your body and, and, and having that awareness not just doing when you're doing theater but also just being aware in life itself you know in exactly. daily you know activities exactly. and and yeah. i think that's something that that we're missing you know from that um so so you know we started out this episode by talking about a story waiting to flourish you know and um I think we often, as human beings, are, are constantly waiting. Like mm-hmm. we're kind of passive and not being active in our own life story, right? Yeah. Um, so what can we do to become more aware and more active in our own lives so we don't just wait for our stories to flourish? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like how, what will you... say or like what can you do through your coaching to help people do that there's a couple things occur to me one certainly find a, a an embodied wisdom practice that fits you whether it's walking you know forest bathing walking in the woods uh tai chi yoga moving, moving the body, because the body lives in the present moment. There's no other place for it to be. Uh And the quickest way for the mind, which loves the past and loves the future, to get back into where we are is through the body. Uh So whatever that means for us, whether it means breath work, whether it means 
a walking meditation, whether, you know, swimming, whatever, just moving the body and finding, finding a way to align the mind with, with what, where, where we actually are. Uh That's one. The other is, this is uh, like a metacognitive exercise is, is kind of twofold. It's to notice what you notice. So we're often, we're always noticing things. I mean, in cognitive science, you call it salience landscaping. We're constantly, there's an explosively combinatory um, number of things we could pay attention to at any given time. And certainly we are more susceptible nowadays to the overload of information than ever before. There's actually a great quote, uh, Herbert A. Simon, the uh, economist said, uh, a wealth of information implies a poverty of attention. Well, yeah, when and, we have too much to focus on. Mm-hmm. And so attention is such a valuable commodity that that is a big, that's sort of the meta, that's the meta narrative of what it is that I'm trying to do for folks is to help them reclaim their attention. Yeah. To help them reclaim what am I focusing on and why? Yeah. yeah. So noticing what we notice, I'm noticing something. Oh, why am I noticing that? Starting to inquire of ourselves, why does that thing, why do I find that repulsive? Or why do I find that beautiful? And that's that's the second layer of this is if we intentionally look at something beautiful, if we intentionally take our attention and scan our environment and fix on something that is aesthetically pleasing to us, we are by definition of our attention looking at something beautiful about ourselves. And so the benefit of noticing what we notice is that now we get to notice the quality of the things that we notice, because when we see the quality of the things that we notice, we're seeing the quality of ourself, of our attention, right? Okay. So that's what I would offer is take, when you find yourself getting frustrated in traffic in LA, when you find yourself uh, having a hard time dealing with Jan and accounting, uh, Jan, Jan's at it again stop and sort of sit with the awareness of noticing yeah and play the game oh wow that really jumped out to me not judgmental just as as a reflection because our attention is a reflection it's a creative act of us that's that's an ian mcgilchrist quote attention is a creative act and it's my favorite I think my favorite quote in the whole world might be second behind Walt Whitman, but say that, say it again, a story with attention is a creative act. Because when we attend to the world, we are creating the world through our attending to it. Hmm. So, so, so there's the word of tending, you know, there's the idea again of, I think, um, flourishing you know mm-hmm. um cultivating we're in a garden you know uh, c- creating mm-hmm. i mean if we think back of how things are you know stories of creation you know world you know again if people believe that god created the world uh, versus you know uh, milky way you know however your your theory or your beliefs are but i think things are created you know you look at nature you know, you look at 
ourselves, you know, we came into this world, you know, so I think, you know, going back, like something I kind of see how maybe typing in into what you have said into this idea of flourishment and cultivating is also looking at how things originated, mm-hmm. you know, where again, the, our birth, our birth stories, you know, the birth of things, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I want to, I kind of ask you before we kind of start ending here, but if you think back at your own birth story, you know, whether the time of day you were born or the day you were born or mm. the place you were born, um, maybe circumstances around your birth. Do you think any of that has kind of maybe played into where you're at now? Hmm. You may not be able to answer oh, it right now, but uh, s- s- there's several different ways I can answer that. So I was born October 18th, 1970 at 442 p.m. on Fairchild Air Force Base in Spokane, Washington. I, so I'm a Libra. Um, That is uh, Chihuahua land, sacred Chihuahua land and Spokane Mm -hmm. uh, tribes. One of the reasons I chose Evergreen State College was because it was in Washington State, and I mm-hmm. wanted to go back to to Washington State. So I did, and as a result, I joined the theater company. And at one point, we were hired by uh, we actually were hired by the state to to do different uh, educational programs in different elementary schools and grade schools throughout the the state, and one of them happened to be in Chihuahua, Washington. And so me and one of the other members of the company drove across Washington State from Seattle to Spokane and then up to Chihuahua and ended up staying with a, a, we were put up by a a native family. We did this wonderful, uh, robust week-long residency and kids performing their own writing and had a wonderful time and uh on our way out of town our hosts said i want to show you something he brought us onto the reservation and in the heart of the reservation there was this pipe sticking out of the hill right next to the road this dirt road in the middle of these beautiful pines and this just torrent of clear water, ice cold, clear water was just gushing out of it. It was a natural spring that was in the middle of the reservation. And he brought us there and he said, I want you to drink. Take water, take it with huh. you. And it's to this day, it's the freshest, most rejuvenating water I've ever tasted in my entire life. It was sweet in a way I've never tasted sweetness subtle and deep and rich and cold and mineral and uh it felt like i was home okay in a strange way Hmm. it was a wonderful gift It, it just it was that part of the world has always called to me and it will always call to me for some reason but that experience in particular returning back 
after yeah. 30, it would have been 30, 31, 32 years after being born. Wow. So most returning back to the well or to like the, you know. Exactly. It was a yeah. well. Yeah. It was a source. Yeah. A source of creation or cre creativity, you know. It felt like the closing of a loop in many ways. Yeah. And yeah. the starting of a new one, right? There's the Ouroboros. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's Nice uh, question. Thank you. Yeah. So, so, um, wow. I don't know. This could be going for more longer. Um, but <laughs> we talk about so much. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of close, where, where do you see yourself kind of going with, with what you're doing? Like, I mean, yeah. you know, again, the idea of a story waiting to flourish, but what else are you hoping to to maybe flourish in the next year. You know, we're going mm -hmm. into 2024 and. You know, the big thing that I hope my work affords is the ability for people to know themselves better, to connect to themselves in whatever way that means, whether it's somatically, whether it's emotionally, um, psychologic, you know, like whatever, however that, that work happens, that, that feels like the most important is, is affording people agency, uh, to, to make better decisions, to be better listeners, to be, to hold other people in, in higher regard. Um, that's, that's my goal. <laughs> I think okay. specifically, I, I've been writing a book. I'm writing a, some papers to submit to some journals about specifically about coaching this methodology and sort of coming up with something that resembles a, a pedagogy here. Okay. And seeing, seeing what, uh, what journals might like that. I've been talking to a couple. One in particular is the Philosophy of Coaching Journal. Hmm. Um, and my hope, my goal in the next few years is that that paper or those papers will turn into a um, a proposal for a book for maybe Rutledge or something in the next okay. next few years. So that's what I'm working on. I'm writing every day putting stuff on paper, just mm -hmm. trying to get back in the habit. Good. Um, so there's that. There's the growing uh, practice with uh, Carolina Commons and, and consulting and helping people think more creatively. And that mm -hmm. works especially for corporations as well as individuals, teams okay. and stuff like that. And then I have my podcast, The Quotidian, so which we'll see you on very soon. Yes. Yeah. And I'm looking that's, forward that's to that. That's an exploration of creative energies in everyday life. Okay. Well, yeah. wonderful. So I know you kind of mentioned some of the, of your, you know, so um, we'll, we'll share the resources with the listeners, you know, we'll share your website and, and all these other things that you've been doing. Um, maybe even um, we can share some of the, your influences that you mentioned earlier in the, conversation absolutely yeah mcgill kristen um, for for sure 
yeah so we will i will make sure that i i have that from you so so yeah so just remind listeners again of your of your website um you know um so that way people so can... my company is called carolina commons.org okay and that's probably the main hub where you can find my personal coaching practice uh, the consulting practice. Carolina Commons is kind of like a consortium of of different folks that I um, bring together for bespoke occasions to to bring into different problem spaces. Okay. Um, and also produces the podcast, The Quotidian. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. All right. Um, well, um, Bradley, um, once again, it's been a pleasure having you um this has been very enriching um i i really wasn't sure how it was gonna come out but i think we waited to to do it at a good day you know i, I think Absolutely. It, it kind of finally flourished in the way that it was meant to flourish so yeah i thank you so much for having me humana it's a real pleasure yeah so so um, thanks uh, for everybody tuning in. And this is actually the last episode for 2023. So I want to wish everybody happy holidays and I will see everyone in the new year. So have a safe and happy holiday. Thanks for tuning in again. Bye-bye. Well, we have reached the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this podcast and today's episode, be sure to share and subscribe and rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. I am your host, Jimena Dusan Aya Pearson. And again, you've been listening to Root Stories of the Soul. Stay tuned for next week's episode, where we will be continuing to talk about the soul of place. Without viewers and listeners like you, this would not be possible. So thank you again for joining me today. Until next time, have a wonderful day.